that's gossip. Strut it out, walk a mile, serve it ancient city style. Talk it out, babble on, battle for your life, babble on. That's gossip, what you on, money don't talk, rip that song. To the special, super amazing premiere of That's Gossip, the Leo season capsule. I'm the hostess with the mostest, and I'm joined by a super special, legendary. She's a legend. She's an icon. She is the moment. Come on now, Miss Jose. Please welcome everyone. I am so. We're gonna play a game. Just okay. a little icebreaker moment. It's, um, if you listen to the sister podcast that's gossip, you'll know the game we play is top or flop, which has no relation whatsoever to toot or boot. <laughs> but um, I'm just going to do a quick blitz round of all the couture shows that were in the fall 21 like, season. And if you love them, top. If you okay. did not love them, flop. <laughs> So let's start off with Scaparelli. Top. Definitely it was good. Top yeah, it was top. good. Um, uh, Miss Iris Van Herpen. I think top. Like, I love the skydiving moment. Like, that was fun. That was so that was cool. That was so cute. So I'm like, okay, you go off, girl. But, like, Definitely. I think I was listening to, I forgot who it was. Someone mentioned that, like, they wanted, like, a whole, like, like you know the whole like Kate just an iris moment would have been insane but yeah that would exactly like how would you would have done that I don't know I I mean I was into it um Christian Dior honestly it was it's a flop but not because of I feel like the girls love to hate on Dior um like it's trendy to hate on it for me this one was a flop because it's it was a lot of like very repetitive day wear. Like I, I I find it very interesting when she does mostly day wear for couture because that's within the tradition of couture. Um, but it was too much. It was it got too repetitive. It was too long of a show. So like it, it's a flop. It's a flop for me, definitely. The show. Oof. There <laughs> were so a lovely. lot of hot moments that I mm, and messy, messy Taylor at some point. Yeah, some of them were. Not good. Um, Azaro. Honestly, a flop, I think. I'm not, I don't, I don't find it kind of like, I don't find it exciting in any sense of the word. I think like, for example, the men's where the tailoring is very kind of like, meh, like I just, I, I get it has its girl, but like, I'm not sold. So it's a flop for me. It's definitely a flop for me. Like, I'm not that kind of girl. So right, <laughs> I I'm uh, not for me. Jean Baptiste Valley, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So please tell the divas at home what you do, what like how you're inspired. Well, not inspired, but like what you do, what circles you're in, stuff like that. Of course. Um, 
So I am primarily a fashion designer. That's kind of like what I do um, for a living. That's that's who I am. Um, and I also am a fashion writer. So I've written for a few publications about different topics on fashion and culture. And I'm also like a fashion commentarist on Instagram. That's kind of like where all everything intersects. Um, I also have a podcast about fashion. So like basically my design career, the podcast, the writing, all of that intersects in Instagram. And that's kind of like where um, I'm trying to build a little community to just talk about fashion, the things we care about, the things that matter for us, um, and push the conversation forward. But yeah, that's that's me in a nutshell. Um, everyone go listen to Biased um, from you. Spotify. Just a shameless, unshameless plug. We love a plug. <laughs> so this is a part of my Leo season capsule. Um, and you're also a Leo, as I found out. <laughs> so Leo's like, what is your favorite thing about being a Leo? I just have to ask. <laughs> I think my favorite thing about being a Leo is that we're very loyal. Leos are like very loyal. Like we, we will be there for you, but also like, I feel like the way we are, like once, once you lose us, we're gone. And like we're very consistent with with that and i think that's kind of like my favorite thing about being a leo and like knowing other leos is that like we will support you we will be there for you but you have to like be there for us and like if you're not loyal to us then it's it's a chop girl like you know and i think that's kind of like what i love about a leo that like we're very consistent with ourselves and with other people but it has to be like a two-way street very that very team like <laughs> that's I love the creativity of being a Leo that's one of my favorite um things but yeah who's the greatest <laughs> exactly. so today we're going to be giving you guys like a little sort of state of the nation address on fashion this year and how it's been going um some of like the iconic moments unfortunately it's a flop especially because of the menswear the menswear for me was a mess like I, those menswear silhouettes i was like girl like no one's gonna no one wants this and like i feel like there were like some very beautiful moments in the tool but like all put together i was like it's just not giving what it what it what you think it's giving and what it should be giving so like for me it's a flop for me it's a hundred percent a flop i'm kind of over like i need something new from the tool you know yeah i feel that because it's getting a bit predictable yeah for sure chanel chanel was bad was a bad show like i it's it's a flop for me like i think the main reason why is because a lot of the i think the dresses at the end were like very true to what like coco chanel was doing so like the dresses at the end i was like okay go all the way off because they give me, they don't give me Carl, they give me Coco Chanel, which is what I want to see from Virginia. I don't want to see Carl. But some of the some of the looks at the beginning, I was like, what is the styling? Like the proportions are off. Like I I I kind of understand what she's trying to go at, but I don't think it's it's working just well in terms of proportion and styling specifically. Like it's just not working. Very that. Like it's a flop for me. Like I really enjoy that she's really trying to hone in on tweet but it's a little bit like misdirected in the way that I would like it like we've seen this form of tweet like I yeah. kind of want you to play with that material but other than that there was a lot of haphazard moments where I was like this is not it girl 
Yeah, some of those I'm like, we need to talk. <laughs> uh, Ronald Van de Kemp. You know what? I didn't look at it like that closely. Where's my book on my? Um, but what? Uh, it's a flop for me. As a flop, let's check. I mean, I'm. I'm gonna say something controversially yet brave. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I get the sustainability movement, and I really do stand the movement, but sometimes. It's kind of creating a block for some people, which yeah. this collection kind of, I kind of, there's some stunning moments where I was like, this is cute, but then, but then there was also some moments where I did not enjoy at all. Yeah, there's like some cute moments and some very questionable ones. I think the problem of like... Armani Privé. I am not an Armani girl, and I think I've made my peace with it. Like I know it has its 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 girl, and I know a lot of the girls love it for the red carpet, and I'm like go all the way off. But like it's just not for me. It's a flop. It's a flop for me as well. I'm no, no, sorry. Next. Very that. Um, Balenciaga. I don't know. Um. Honestly, because it was so much better than I was expecting, I'm going to give it a top. Um, but I think there's some things that need to work, that need to be, that need to get worked through in terms of like offer, in terms of like, for example, there was too much tailoring. Like all the black tailoring at the beginning, I was like, okay, like when is this going to end? Um, I think there's some kinks to be like figured out and to be resolved. But I think to for, for it being like his first one, it was a perfectly fine kind of like debut collection for them at Balenciaga Couture. So like, we'll give it a top. I'll give it a top. Definitely, like, there's some moments, like, the jackets that are like, oh, I think it's silk, where they manipulate the silk to look like feathers, and, yeah. you know, like, that kind yeah. of stuff I'm, like, kind of very obsessed with. Mm -hmm. But then you get, like... That would have been so interesting to see. And, like, even, for example, there was a look that was a mop, right? It was, like, a hand yeah. holding yeah. a mop. And I mean, the mop was literally like store-bought. It was like, you could see that it was just like a random mop. And I was like, I mean, replace the end of the mop with like feathers, make it like crystal fringe, you know? Like you could have done like very few details here and there to like fully elevate and like take this to the other extreme, right? Because like, yeah. yes, you could, it is a hand holding a mop and like that is an interesting concept, but like what else can you do there to take this to the next level? I think that's what I needed to see in a lot of the looks like, you have the, the the base idea what what is the added layer that makes it something else that makes it an art piece like using like that stock or like using um old materials and trying to like repatchwork them etc is that sometimes it, it, it executes really well and sometimes it just looks like you you're using like old stuff right and i think it really depends because there's some looks where you're like oh go all the way off like some of the denim i'm like okay work but some of them are like okay, this looks too much like you're just picking stuff up from the studio floor, you know? Like tea. Not your look, tea. but like, depends. <laughs> like, I think of like, when I think of upcycling, I think of like Scaparelli now, what they did with the denim, that's all like thrifted mm -hmm. denim, for instance, yeah. and all like different bits that they got from the archive. Like that's yeah. kind of, like that's the kind of upcycling I want to see on a couture runway, you know? Yeah, and I mean, I think there's room for like more. For example, there's this one like um, 
jacket that's like all woven pieces of denim and like I think you. that's cool and it's so pretty like that that kind of stuff works so well because you also get the intricacy of like hey like we grabbed all these grabs we finished them we double stitched them and then we wove, wove them together like that can be couture in a very special way right yeah. um and there's very successful moments there but when it's just like a very simple straightforward patchwork it's like okay but you didn't need to do this so like it has to be very intentional for it to work i think especially in couture and like having a couturier like you're paying a lot of money to get this kind of work the only reason why i'm going to give it a flop is because i i needed to see like a higher level of craftsmanship and like it i know that like these pieces are not meant to be um sold as clothes or they're not meant to be sold as like traditional couture they're meant to be sold as art pieces right so like from that standpoint, I can be like, okay, like I can see what you're trying to do. But for me, like I still need to see an attention to fit. I still need to see an attention to like the selection of the materials, to the finishes, the way things are hanging on the body. Like uh, some of those dresses just didn't fit. Some of the finishes were not good. And I, I think that like, if you are using clothes as a vehicle to like giving a statement in any sort of, in any kind of statement, right? But if the clothes are the vehicle for that, then you need to make sure that you refine them to, to the point where like they can be like a, a successful vehicle for it, right? Because I think he he had such a strong statement and he's had like a, he wanted really wanted to say something and he did and he was successful at it. But I wish the clothes were made to the point where like no one would be talking about questioning them, you know? Yeah. So like for me, I think it's a flop just because it, I just didn't, I just don't see a level of the level of attention to detail that I would have liked to see, or maybe the level of like showmanship or kind of like thinking outside the box. Like maybe not everything needs to be like an object placed on top of the rest. Like maybe it can be like a different interpretation of it. Showmanship in general, like there was a 10th look, for example, I was like, oh, that should have been a reveal, for example. Like, you know, there was like a yeah. lot of opportunity to like play around. So I would have liked to see a bit more focus on the clothes as the vehicle to tell the statement rather than like as a part of the production, right? Yeah, no, 100% agree with you. Like, I think a lot of people have been hiding their opinions because, yeah. because of how much of a powerful moment this is. Mm -hmm. and haven't been able to have the conversation about oof, like the fit day like the craftsmanship the ideas like for instance the look where it's like there's a fire extinguisher I was like it took me a while until someone told me that it was a fire extinguisher I was like this is really cute like this is well done and yeah. I wish there was a lot more looks like that than having a phone hanging off of something you know exactly and like I would like to see a bit more like what else can you do than like grab the AC and put it on the dress, right? Like the AC unit. I'm like, okay, like great air conditioner, but like, what can you do other than like cut the front and put it on top of a dress? Like what are, what is it? Is it a bag? Is it like a print? Is it fully embellished on the side of the dress? Like what else can you do, right? Like, I think I would have appreciated seeing a little bit of that. Like, I also would have loved like a little bit of like trompe l'oeil, like just like- Exactly, like, exactly. Get into that, you know? Yeah. Honestly, like Van der Kamp, for example, he had been doing couture jeans for a while. And you know who used to buy them a lot? Celine, Celine Dion. I mean, Celine is like a couture customer and she used to buy all the denim from Ronald. 
I mean, I strongly believe that there is a customer for like very easy like couture jeans because I mean, listen, when you have the money, you're going to buy the best you want to buy, right? And like, you're going to spend your money where you want it. So like, I do think there is a customer for it. I just think like, it's interesting the way which he, like them is presenting it, right? Like, I think the presentation or like the jean with a t-shirt is like, okay, but like, who is this for? But I do think there is a person. I do think there's a, there's a girl there. I mean, we'll, we'll have to see if he like keeps it up. I think that's what's going to be telling of the next few shows. Like if, if we see more denim, if we see more hoodies, whatever, then it's because people are buying it. And like the girls are putting in their orders. If we don't see it as much, then it's because no one actually wanted it, right? So like, I think we'll have to find out. Yeah. Uh, Fendi. I just did not like Fendi. Like Fendi for me was a flop. It was much better than the first one. Um, and there were some very like pretty beautiful like techniques utilized, but a lot of it was rehashing from Carl. It just it it just didn't work for me. Like it, I didn't I didn't really like most of the looks. I like. I think I have no questions for Kim Jones, and no <laughs> flop. Yeah, flop. I don't think he he's like find his woman's wear yet. Yeah. And we'll we'll have to see if he does find it. <laughs> I hope so, for his sake. Exactly. Um, Mason Margiela. I love that video. Like yeah. I think it was a very beautiful story. Like it did what it needed to do. I think like it was again a narrative, beautiful story. Like it was pieces for that. So I I mean for me to talk like. I, I love to see kind of like that explosion of creativity and just like a storytelling moment. I like, I have been loving their like recent videos and I yeah. think there's even like a podcast where um, John is busy chatting about the studio and like really yeah. being open about the house. And that's really refreshing because a lot of people have been like, this is not what, we're not going to talk about this, but this is the product. Exactly. So like the super creative, I like the direction. That's the top one. Yeah, it was cute. Pierre Moss. First time at the like, not bad, not terrible. Yeah. terrible. yeah, no, I mean, he he knows how to put on a show. He's always known how to put on a show. So, like, you know what? Like, I think if he keeps going at it, there's going to, he's going to find, I think, and it's also the first one. So I'm sure the first one was more about, like, the statement than about, like, saying, like, hey, I'm here, I'm doing this, which I, which is important. So I think if he keeps going at it, he's probably gonna find like a sweet spot between like, okay, this is the, sh the show part of it. This is a statement and this, this is the production of the clothes, right? But I mean, we'll have to see. Um, and then um, lastly, we have Valentina. Valentina, I think was top, was, a top, was top for sure. I mean, it's, I think Pierre Paul is finding it is, is, is in a weird space right now where like a lot of the things we've seen already um, he loves to use these colors, very pure, very saturated colors, which are so beautiful. I think by now they're like very much like a, a signature of his. Um, but it's interesting to see where his head is going in terms of like creating volume, in terms of like creating these moments versus like the crinolines, the empty crinoline instead of like the tool, right? Or like instead of the ruffling, et cetera. I think it's very interesting to see where his mind is going to try to keep things new or like novelty at least. Um, it was a bit too long. I 85 looks is yeah. absolutely too much. 
um, for ready towards too much for towards absolutely unnecessary. Um, but it was a very beautiful show. I think it was a nice way of closing the tour. Like people, I think wanted a bit of romance, especially from him. Like he's he's probably one of the most romantic designers working right now in terms of like intention, look, etc. So I think people were expecting and kind of needing a little bit of that energy. So I think he fully delivered. I think it was a really good show. Yeah, for me it was a top as well. Like pretty much, I agree with everything you said. It was such a long show, but I think. For me, I need this sort of to be the end of this like trilogy he's created in my mind. It's a trilogy <laughs> of like from the of grace and light to the spring season, and then now this where the colors fully return. Like yeah, exactly. Like, like I think this is the perfect point for you to now. Let's completely go in a different direction now. It was exactly. stunning. Like love the show. I love. I love the set. I love everything. Like it was just. A good show and there were some interesting pieces and like the men's way sometimes was great sometimes was not yeah, yeah i agree i think the men's is like it's interesting because everyone now is offering like a lot of brands are offering men's couture now which i think is important and it is a sign of the times of where men's is going but i think it's also kind of like okay if you're doing this let's fully commit right like balenciaga for example so much men's but most of it was tailoring right and i'm like okay like you are offering bespoke tailoring anyways. Like you're still doing custom tailoring anyways, right? So what what about this is the extra mile? Like, is it still priced as bespoke tailoring? Is it priced just like as couture? What is the difference between like getting a ready to wear one and getting altered at the store, right? Like what are like those little nuances that make it different? I think at Valentino, there's a similar question in terms of like, okay, this definitely, this is beautiful menswear. It doesn't look like the ready to wear sure. <clears throat> but probably the ready to wear should look like that. And then your couture should be one step ahead, right? Like one step higher in terms of like, and I think there were some looks where you could see a bit more of like um, the couture elements and craftsmanship come in. Uh, but I do think they, they're trying to find the balance between what is, what is going to create that impact and what is actually going to perform in terms of what can be ordered, what they can place in celebrities. I mean, I think a lot of that menswear couture is about to be very heavily um, pushed onto celebrities, both through Balenciaga, Fendi, and Valentina specifically. So like, I think that those three houses especially are kind of like, okay, going to try to one-up each other in terms of visibility in menswear. And I think it's really smart because listen, like we grew up watching celebrities wear the same black suit, right? So whether it was Hugo Boss, Armani, um, Brioni, Prada, it was a black suit. So how much impact is that creating, right? Like you remember the, the dresses that Angelina Jolie was wearing. You don't care about the Brioni suits that Brad Pitt wears. Yeah. Versus now with celebrities being a bit more um, challenging in terms of red carpet, like Timothy Chalamet or like Harry Styles, like all these people that are now more interested in like, oh, I can make a statement. There's also more queer celebrities, right? Like we didn't grow up with like a lot of like out gay actors or like queer actors right where like they were openly themselves on red carpets because the industry wouldn't allow them that so now a lot of these artists are like oh i don't care like i'll wear the cape i'll wear the like feather look i want to wear that too right so there is i think a new generation of celebrities that are interested in menswear of wearing the more avant-garde pieces and i think we will we'll see how that goes in terms of um a returning impact for valentino right because i think 
the orders in terms of the menswear are, are, are going to stay like from the couture customers will probably stay within the tailoring but you do have the other pieces that are an opportunity to like market the same way you use women's wear couture to market right like you got angelina jolie and custom anything and then you're like oh she's wearing couture and then it's it's everyone's talking about it right and yeah. then that's how you sell a fragrance that's how you sell the makeup that's how you sell all the other things because then people look at her at the oscars and are like i want a part of that and now you can do that with menswear too so i think it's really smart so like i really wanted to start off this and then just jump back to the beginning of the year because we like i think the first like fashion moment we were like second jan was the spring couture which mm-hmm. i think this fall couture was a very vast improvement <laughs> from yeah, I, where we were and i really wanted to bring up fendi because i mean it's kim jones it was kim jones's first attempt at couture yeah. since he joined fendi and like what do you think like how do you feel about kim jones and the fendi couture? you know what's the thing i think Fendi never shows spring couture. Like historically, Fendi Fendi one is not is a correspondent member of um, the federation. They're not like a true member where they like show every season, etc. They're only corresponding members in terms that they show once a year, right? So they only ever show fall. Carl never showed a spring collection in couture. Neither did Sylvia. So I think it was a mistake to push for Kim Jones to show. Uh, spring couture one because it doesn't make sense for Fendi like a lot of Fendi couture is very layered is has a lot to do with fur because they sell yeah. fur really well um, so that's kind of why it's always a fall thing right so I think it by from stars it doesn't work as spring couture in general I think it would have been hard for Sylvia or anyone to like make it work properly the added layer to that is that Kim they were there was no time he was hired and then he had to like start working on a couture collection. So he didn't get the full season to work on it, right? And in couture, yeah. you definitely yeah. do need a full season. The added layer is that he is not a women's wear designer. You know, like we haven't seen women's wear from him. We haven't seen him work in this medium. And the added layer to that is that couture happens at, right after men's wear, right? So like, not only was he trying to like catch up on lost time for women's wear couture Fendi he was also diving into women's wear for the first time at a, in, in, in this place but then he's also trying to finish at the Men collection so I think it was really like w- even without looking at the collection it was a recipe for like not necessarily disaster but for it to not be properly executed right like it's too many things happening at the same time I understand that they wanted to, his debut in, men, in women's wear and Fendi to be couture because it's very high profile, but I think it was a mistake. It was a miss in terms of planning because it just it, they just set him up for like, not failure, but like for a few mistakes here and there. That said, um, the collection was not good. I mean, I think there's there's been one too many designers that have been inspired by Virginia Woolf and Orlando, and I get it. Like, I mean, it's a beautiful story. We all love it. But there's more to the story than the gender bending. There's a lot more to it than like men in dresses and women in tailoring. And I think that's kind of like what the miss was for me. It was so heavy and it was so, it was very heavy handed. It was just, there was no true exploration of what the concept can be in terms of like 
the way that book is written, the way the story is written is very graphic as well. You have, you get a lot of visuals from the story, right? Like as you read it, you can see descriptions of what all these characters are wearing and like the way they're interacting with each other, the way they're interacting with gender, et cetera. So like, it's, I needed to see more of that. It was a bit too literal. It was a bit too like concept execution. Yeah. And it just didn't yeah. work, you know? And like the fit in some of the things still was wrong. I think, again, it's had very heavy handed in terms of women's where like the way you interact with a woman's body in terms of construction is not the same thing as like a male body or like mask and femme figures, right? Like the traditional femme figure is very different in terms of how you build volume. Yeah. Right? It's not like like in menswear. So like, I think there were a lot of misses and there's a lot of like, there isn't a profound understanding of women's wear just yet. And I think there's moments where you can see the team pulling through and being like, no, like this is, and you can see that kind of like process where there's, versus there's moments that feel very Kim Jones ideas where you can tell that like, it's just not there. And I yeah. think it'll be interesting to see if he gets there. Um, but I, I, I think one of the things that just roused me the wrong way is that like, we shouldn't have to wait for him to get there. You know, like yeah. I understand the views, et cetera. And I'm like, you go all the way off. But at the same time, I'm like, there's so many designers working today that have the knowledge or like have the experience or have the readiness to be doing that. Why do we have to hire a menswear designer um, to do something he's never done just because he has this name, right? Like I, I wish the industry didn't work like that. Like, why does he need two hot jobs? Like, why does he need two of the biggest jobs in the industry? Like, like, oh my gosh, like that frustrates me. It's like you're working at baby and your main, like, ugh. and like, it's just like, I was so unhappy with that Fendi collection. I was very much underwhelmed, underpaid. Exactly. <laughs> like, 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 yeah, it just didn't, it just, it was a flop. I mean, in very many different ways. And the ready tour that followed, like I, I still didn't land for me. And now we're there in the couture. So I'm just like, what, what, what is it that we're waiting to see happen, right? And like, I think the accessories that they did for the first one were, were good. But then again, the accessories are all on Sylvia. The accessories are not Kim Jones, yeah. right? So like, yeah. I'm still trying to see like, okay, what is going to be this return? And I think, Right now, the brand, like, women's wear and men's wear look like completely separate brands. And I think that's also a miss. With Sylvia and Carl working together, it, it never looked that dissonant. And I think now when you look at the latest men's wear Fendi show, and then you look at the women's wear, and then you look at the couture, they could easily be three different brands, right? So I'm like, what's happening? Like, Fendi was never this right you get it at lb you get it at dior when they're like completely separate and entities almost where like nicholas gaskia and like virgil are not even like looking at each other's studios which is like all the way off that's always been a thing at like um at lb but now i'm, I'm like that was never a thing in fendi and like why are we making it a thing now right like why is it why is it looking so separate i don't like it i don't appreciate it same very much so like I also want to talk about in that same season, Valentino, mm -hmm. which I, again, I think I briefly mentioned how this 
in my mind it's a trilogy and it's ending here. Yeah. But I really, I think for me it was the um, star of this collection week because A, the shoes and the boots are on everyone's wish list, right? Yeah. Wish list, right? Like Pia Paolo sale like not the and then I think this was like our first taste at his menswear in couture. So like, how are your thoughts about the Valentino? I think it was actually a very interesting thing to receive at that specific moment, because I think no one really knew what we were going to get, right? Because again, when you think of Pierpaolo, you think of romantic, you think of like larger silhouettes, you think of a lot of colors, you think of like volume. And I don't think we were at a point where anyone was going to receive that well, right? Like no one wanted to see exuberance. Um, specifically at that point, I think, like even that collection was very interesting because it was very neutral. Like a lot of the colors were um, either neutrals and then there was a pink, there was um, the gold and then there was a new and green, right? Yeah. And I think what was interesting about it is that the majority of it was day wear. It was very like casual, almost ready to wear, but in couture techniques. And I think that made a lot of people start thinking, right? And I think I say this like a broken record, but I'm like, and I said this when the collection came out and it started like a lot of conversations in my DMs, but I'm like, if you guys are willing to take at face value what Pierpaolo is showing you, which looks like ready to wear, it is couture because of the way it's made, right? And the materials and the techniques, et cetera but you're looking at it at a face value, it looks like Reddit tour and you're living for it. You're saying it's amazing. But then you look at Chanel couture and Dior couture and you're saying this is terrible because it's day wear because it's ready to wear. Then there's like a conversation that we need to have, right? Because just because you don't like it doesn't mean that it's not what, what it is, right? Like just because you don't like what tailoring the Mario Grazia does, doesn't mean that it's still not couture. It can still be couture, it's just not for you. And the fact that she does it every season and she does it so there's such a, a huge volume of it every season means that it performs really well. Because there yeah. is a woman, there, I'm, I'm very more, probably more mature woman who is buying that, actively buying that to wear every day, right? Same thing at Chanel. The difference is that like, we don't relate to a mature woman. We relate because of our demographic, because of what we're looking to see to a younger customer, right? To a more quote unquote exciting one. So when you get it from Pierpaolo, you're like, oh, this is delicious, this is wonderful, this is beautiful, it's hot pink, right? I think there is a conversation to be had there. And I think that's kind of what was interesting to me about that show that he's like, this, this designer that is so well known for his beautiful romantic voluminous evening wear, all of a sudden is giving you day wear couture. So let's face that, let's, let's understand what couture means today, right? And I think for me, it was interesting to see a lot of people being like, no, couture is evening or couture is fantasy, couture is all this, when in reality, historically, couture has always been just clothes. When you look at like all the Saint Laurent shows that we always gag about, when you look at like Alaya, when you look at like all these things, whether it was ready to or it was couture of the time, like when you look at like Lacroix, like when you look at all these couturiers in the time, they weren't only selling ball gowns. These wealthy women were buying their wardrobes from there buying complete wardrobes, like buying the things that you would wear every day. Balenciaga was not only selling Balkans, he was also selling coats. He was also, you know, like when people, when the women were buying the new look and they were buying it in couture, they were buying the skirt, they were buying the blouse, they were buying day wear. They were buying their clothes to wear every day, right? So I think that was interesting to like, 
And I think Pierre Paolo put it back in the, in, the, in the conversation because for him, it was about that, right? Versus Virginie and like Maria Grazia, just, it's just part of the work that they do. Like it was never, it's not about the discourse for them. I think for that Valentino collection, it was about the discourse. It was about like couture, everyday clothing. Couture is not only the evening wear because right now you don't need evening wear. Right now you need this, right? So I think in that vein, it was very interesting. Um, I did like that this season, it was, there was a more even split between the day wear and like the more casual pieces versus the evening. I think that's that's that that works better with like the expectations of people for Valentino. But I think the spring show was was really pretty. Again, it was too long. Um, I think it was also about 80 something looks. You don't need all of that to tell a story. Um, but it was a really pretty show. I think, again, there's some there's some questions to be had about like, if this is your couture, then what is your ready to wear? Um, but I think that's a conversation for these brands to like discover as they go and like as their offers kind of like update and change. Like if your couture is if your couture and like evening wear offer now is this, then what is your ready to wear offer? Like how do they play off each other? Like how do they complement each other? I guess we'll see as like the seasons go. But I think spring couture for Valentino was like a very interesting pivotal moment for um the brand and like the conversation around uh, couture. So I think like just to jump on what you said, it's like there's a lot of what I found like gatekeeping on what couture is. And it's often viewed from a specific lens when yeah. the only thing that determines whether something is couture or not is the federation <laughs> and their rules yeah. and the techniques and they're the ones who determine what couture is. So like to jump back, it's like when everyone was talking about the PMRs, like mm -hmm. gatekeeping because it was ridiculously capped. Like Moschino like was found dead in a grave, <laughs> but like it was so camp and so like over the top, which I think was another almost point that was being made by Kirby. Um, yeah. But like they were just like, it's not couture, it's not evening wear, it's not whatever, whatever. And I was like, it sounds like this, it's not couture, it's just a convenient excuse. <laughs> exactly. And I think that's the thing about me. Like for the conversation around Pure Moss, for example, I was like, I don't think the conversation to be had here is about whether or not it's couture. Like that's not up to you. I think the conversation to be had here is again, like attention to detail, fit. It's, those things we can talk about because at face value, that's what you see, right? Like when the, when the object is presented in front of you, like, you see how it's made, you see how it works, you see how it sits on the body, you can critique that. You can say like, I don't like the way that dress fits because it's doing this and this and this on the body. That conversation we should be having because that conversation is productive because that's a conversation that if Kirby finds on the internet, he's gonna be like, oh, show, show to his tech designer and be like, hey, this really doesn't fit. Or like, hey, why do you think they're saying this, right? And that's a productive conversation for him also as a designer who wants to, critique to move forward, right? That's how we work. But if the conversation is some people on the internet saying it's not couture because it's not couture, that is that is more interesting, right? Because it's like, it's not, it's what you're saying, it's not up to you, right? But I think the added level, the added layer to that in, in terms of Pierre Moss is that like, we have to question, did he want to do couture in a traditional way? It doesn't seem like he wanted to because he's not even selling it in that sense. There's being sold as art pieces, right? Yeah. So like, yeah. 
I think there's so much more to evaluate that I think the internet discourse likes to ignore. Again, when you're talking about a Dior, for example, it's like, oh, or like a Chanel, it's like, oh, like a tweet, a tweet tailored to it is not couture. Like, how do you know? How do you know that it's not being made as couture and, and it's not going to be developed for someone specifically that wants it as couture? Just because you like dresses and Iris Van Herpen doesn't mean that that's the only iteration or the only valuable iteration of couture, right? And I think that's what a lot of people really passionately like to forget. Absolutely. Um, I now, since we brought up uh, Maria, <laughs> let's talk about couture and the spring couture by Dior, which I thought was, I think this was such a, I mean, we could discuss a lot of things, but I think um, MGC delving into um, Christian Dior's love of tarot cards, which was almost pathological, and mm -hmm. presenting a collection, which is like something you should think about, which is really great. Like, I really enjoy that she's delving into the history of Christian Dior, the man, the myth, the legend. But sometimes there's a lot of, for me, I just, I, don't agree with the way things are constructed and the way she's designing, but she has a huge market in China. She has a huge market in China and Dior is doing extremely well. MGC, like for me, I think um, Hot La Mode, I saw Hot La Mode, MGC was like when MGC and um, Pierre Paolo were together, Pierre Paolo was the creative, MGC was the money maker. The two yeah. of them worked extremely well together because they knew how to get a balance of both. And now we're seeing that they're separated. It's like you can see the money makers in full blow and you see this romantic exploration of Valentino. It's very interesting to see. And I think people like to dismiss uh, Maria Grazia because, to be completely honest, because she's a woman, um, I think there's a lot of very misogynistic conversations in fashion about queer people, specifically gay men, have a very specific idea of what fashion in their minds should be. And it's a very specific idea because it's, a, it's an idea tied to female glamour, to a specific idea of female glamour. And then when you add the layer of gay men designing for women, that is probably one of the most consistent things in fashion history, right? Yeah. Gay men and queer people are very protective of that idea. And I think it happens more and more le levels in fashion when it comes to like people to talk about it, right? And it's not, it hasn't, it has never, it hasn't been that common to see a woman taking over kind of like a couture house like this, right? Obviously we had Coco Chanel, we had Elsa Schiaparelli, we had Madame Kahn, et cetera. But like, in then after all these, women kind of like left the industry because they passed, because they closed their maisons, et cetera. It was all dominated by men, right? Like none, yeah. none of these women yeah. were hired basically. Um, and now that you have two women at the helm of like the two biggest houses and the two highest performing houses, right? Like Dior is almost as close as making as much money as Chanel, right? And I think people are like very actively trying to forget that. And I think people don't understand that if they're making that much money is because they're selling really well. And if they're making that much money is because someone is res it's resonating with someone, right? People want to wear that. Women are buying it because they want to wear it. So people are forgetting that. And I think it's very interesting to see the discourse 
for example, when people want to defend uh, Matthew Williams, everyone says, but it's selling, you know? But when people want to talk about Maria Grazia, they're like, uh, it's selling, but like to who, you know? And I'm yeah, like, girl, yeah. you, you can't use this double discourse. I think what's interesting that is that it's not for us. Like, I don't like a lot of it. I don't like, again, I don't like the construction of a lot of these things. I don't like the, the proportions. I don't like the fabrications, but it's not for me, you know? And I reckon, I can recognize that it's not for me. And I it, it's not for my age demographic either, right? Like I'm a queer person, one. So that's, um, I'm not a white wealthy woman of, um, of like a certain age. It's not for me. That said, I think that that couture collection was probably one of her most interesting ones because yeah. I think that Maria Grazia, where she is a very good merchant and she is a very good, she's very good at understanding what these women are going to buy from her. She is also a very interesting storyteller. She's yeah. very literal and very graphic in terms of storytelling. She grabs two motifs. Like remember one of her first collections at the art that had like the embroidered sun and then the embroidered oh, yeah. like all the Exactly. She's very, she's always been very graphic and she loves a motif, she loves that. So I think Tarot, for example, is a very good place for her to like put all that energy. Since it was also a film, I think that was also interesting because she does have like a, a specific idea of what the visuals like to be. So like the one that, the one before that, that was kind of like, um, that had like the mermaids and had like um, the fairies and all of that. like. That also shows you like she loves a, she loves a little movie. So I'm like, go all the way off girl. You have the budget you've ever produced, which is something that her production value is unmatched for all these films. I'm She's giving Hollywood. So like, you know what, go all the way off. But that collection, for example, I think was one of her most interesting ones, but I think it was better where it was less costumey. You could tell that there were pieces that she made because they fit the narrative and there were pieces that she made because she wanted to make them. Yeah. The pieces that yeah. she made because she wanted to make were the best ones. And the Absolutely. pieces she made, she needed them for the story. I was like, now you're giving me costume design. And I think that's when we need to do a split of like, okay. But what I do think is interesting is to see her kind of like hold on to traditional Dior silhouettes, even the new look, and then trying to reinterpret them in, through a female gaze. Yes, I yes. think that's the most interesting about her work, and that's where her work is at its best. Sometimes their interpretation falls flat, but I think there's a lot to be discussed about it. Um, like, just to jump in here, it's like the bar jacket. It's a recurring motif in, in MGT's like collection. You will see a bar jacket. You will. Exactly. You will see representations of a new look, and I find that. When she hits it out of the park with that bar jacket, I am happy camper. Like, yeah, same. But when, when she, she does it well, she, she does it so well. But when she gets it messed up, like I think in the latest collection, where I think she yeah. tried to play tweed and it just, it just messy and sloppy, I was like, oh, no. Exactly. And I think she, it's also about textures. Like she does, she does sometimes have a very heavy hand. So like a lot of the textures and the motifs and a lot of the fabrics, they get like very kind of like, okay, girl, you need to take one off, you know, like let's edit a little bit. I think that happens to her quite a bit where she's like doing a little bit too much. Sometimes when she, when she refocuses, it works really well. But even this last like fall couture, for example, there were moments where you're like, there's like this tailored skirt, for example, that's like paneled to create the flare. I was like, oh, yes. all the way up. But then yes. when it's styled with mesh and on top of that, there's like a, 
there's a tweet patchwork and on top of that there's like i'm like okay you're you're giving me too much and like it's very it's let's let's pare it down a little bit right but i think i mean there's it's not for everyone but like she does have a girl and i think we can't forget that because if she has a, such a big customer and if it's doing so well then that means someone's loving it right and that's all that's all that matters really honestly and truly i do want to touch on the the pizza controversy that happened with the Dior's, like the cruise, because I think, I forgot where I was having the discussion, but there was the discussion about her misogyny, well, the misogyny that came with the like backlash of this technique developed by the um, CSM graduate who like everyone fell in love with, it's so iconic. But like, for me, the funniest thing was like, did everyone forget that Margiela, like that six months too. ago? She's so <laughs> yeah. And everyone was gagging. Yeah. I mean, I think I will side on the side of like, there's a lot of misogyny in it, but the main thing is people like to hate on her. People like, like, it's popular discourse to dislike and be petty and catty about her Dior. It's just part of it. People like it. People love a meme that says that it's ugly. People love a meme that say that her work isn't good. If you look at the internet, if you look at like a lot of these accounts that like talk about fashion, the one thing you always find is that there's someone making fun of it or making fun of her work because that works well with the demographic, right? People love to joke about it. That said, um, no one's talking about Galliano and like how everyone forgave him for his remarks so quickly. No one is like talking about, people talk about Dolce & Gabbana whenever a celebrity dress wears it, but then everyone's like, mm, you know? And I think when you, when you talk about like these appropriations of ideas, when Galliano did it, no one was talking about it. Probably two people posted about it and that was it, right? Versus now, because Maria Grazia did it, oh, now it's a problem. Now we have to like bring her to the red table and like unpack it, right? And I'm like, you know what, yes, but we should have done it with Galliano too. And we should consistently do it with everyone. Yeah. So like, yeah. where I'm like, Maria Grazia, let's be honest, this is not your idea. So like, it's a chop girl, do not do this. I think there's also conversation to be had about like, who do we hold, account who do we hold accountable and who do we let, who do we let these, do these things casually, right? I think Galliano is one of the, one of the designers in history that we've let do a lot of things um, because his work has always been very, very appreciated by the industry. Um, but I don't think that should be any 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 excuse to like not talk about it, right? And I think that was what what was the most interesting is that like why are we talking about one and not the other? But the reality is that we know what we're talking about one and not the other, right? We know yeah. that the girls like to hate on her. Yeah. We love. We know that like you know there's misogyny and like you're obviously more. You're you're gonna you're gonna accuse her of, co of of copying someone, but a Margiela, you're gonna be like Margiela copying. No, Margiela is where all the original ideas come through, and that's also the internet discourse, right? Like the girls will fight for their Margiela, the girls will fight for their Rick Owens, the girls will fight for their Yoji, and they will say that these are all original ideas. On the other side, when Virgil does something, when Maria Grazia does something, all of a sudden everything's a knockoff, right? And Granted, yes, both Virgil and Maria Grazia have done their little takes of like, oh, I like this copy and paste. 
but I think there's a lot of things to be to be talked about in terms of that. Like, why are you also looking at Virgil? Like, all of these designers are also copying each other, but you're focusing on Virgil. Let's talk about that, right? Like, why is it? We know why it is, right? So, like, nice. let's be honest about all these conversations. Nice. Let's be honest about like your anti-blackness or your 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 casual racism. Let's be honest about your misogyny. Let's be honest about what's guiding all what's what's fueling your conversations about fashion. T. I mean, Tea. now we're on resort, I do have to mention the only like the only person who gets a veto for creating a resort like collection, because I don't believe resorts should exist, but that's a conversation for another day. I want to yeah, talk about Christopher uh, John, like Christopher John Rogers resort collection. That mm-hmm. Christopher John Rogers has a soft place in my heart, like Same. will and forever. Just color play, silhouettes, just textures. I like like. I'm obsessed with it. Like, how do I, how do I cure myself of this obsession? <laughs> Listen, you should not get cured. We all love it. We all live for it. I mean, I think Christopher is a very interesting and very important designer working today. Um, obviously, I'm biased because I love Christopher, but um, I'm also aware, <laughs> and I can say I can say this very honestly. When I came up um, as an emerging designer in New York, a lot of emerging designers were doing. Um, street streetwear we're doing um, menswear like Emily Bodie for example came around at the same time beautiful menswear right um, Kirby Pierre Moss is completely different to Christopher John Rogers like a lot of the designers working that came around at the same time or even the people he was competing with right like at the CFDA Reese, Reese Cooper is like full-on LA vibe um, um, menswear and street streetwear Daniel Frankel is is, is very specific bridal so like there was no one giving kind of like what christopher was doing at the time and right still to this day like it has crafted a very specific place in the industry i think but i think when he started doing it like and now it's what 24 like a a few like five mm, yeah like five years ago when he graduated college i think and like he started like being more visible people weren't doing this kind of fashion at an emerging designer level right emerging designers were all very focused on like the, the instagram brand or the or streetwear or like other other portions of fashion that were being more commercially viable at the time and he really stuck to his vision and was like this is what i'm going to deliver right this is what i do and i think he was very good at like where the first seasons when he was still not selling were very much about the evening and were very much about the, the specific glamour once he started getting into retailers and he started like transforming this into like a, an actual like bigger business, um, that's when I find it very interesting to see how he's managed to like stay true to his own language by but still creating like a an, an, a universe for they were for knitwear for like all of these little things that make the clothes exist outside of a realm of evening wear or special occasion, right? I think that's kind of like what's so interesting about him. And also that he's taking his time. I think that's the best part of it, right? Like he's, a lot of emerging designers are like, I want to do a handbag. I want to do footwear. I want to do denim. I want to do knitwear. And they want to pack it all in their second collection. That's a mistake. All of these things take forever to develop. And like working in the industry as a designer, working with developing product, 
these things take forever to develop. You can't like throw a handbag out there and like, that's it, right? You can't just make a shoe in a month and be like, I'm going to sell this. So I think he's been very smart saying like, okay, now I'm like here, this is my ready to wear. Okay, now I'm going to give you guys knitwear. We love the knits and it's are great. Honey. And like little by little, yeah. his universe, exactly me, like with my sweater and my closet, right? Like, and I think that's what makes what makes it so special that he is very intentionally creating his own little world. And I think that's what I appreciate the most about it. Like, it's just so like out of body, like just for instance, just the strawberry silhouette is now for me attached to him. That strawberry. Yeah, dress, exactly. I will always think about it. It's so classic, but just every time he finds new ways and pulls me in further and further. The nuts, oh my gosh. Like I have never wanted to own a like that. Like I yeah. am obsessed. Like I just think that level of craftsmanship, the idea like, and you can see that the core values that are in the brand, will always come through. And it's not forced, it's not like them trying to hit you on the head, saying, this is our value. It's just always there. Just so like brilliantly presented, beautiful lines, beautiful ideas. Just, oh. I fully agree. I mean, and again, like he's, he's done an amazing job of like creating a space for himself in the industry, for his clothes to exist and like, they are very intentional about everything they do, right? And I think that's kind of like what we we missed in fashion a little bit. A lot of designers are just like, place it on any editorial, place it on any celebrity, just put it out there, just expose it, right? And I think just because you want the exposure, you want the cloud. Um, and then that dilutes a lot of brands. I think Christopher has been really, Christopher and his team have been really good at like creating this world within the design, but also within kind of like the visuals. The visuals are always like, now they have their own little language, right? Like the color, the the editing, the kind of mo- the the casting, like all of these little yes. things, like you you the hair, the makeup, etc. Like, and he's worked with all these people to like create a, a a visual world, right? That I I'm only very excited to like continue to see it grow as the brand grows and like as also like his his possibilities increase. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see where CJR is in the next couple of years. And I wouldn't be surprised if like someone starts calling him to like go over to, to a house because he has the range. Absolutely. Absolutely. Completely, absolutely signed, sealed, delivered, stamped. That's what I want. (laughs) (laughs) I love, I love, I want it too. So like, I don't think we can talk about this year without talking about um, Gucci's Aria collection. Because for me, like, I think that moment was so, I mean, the collection was good, but like the idea of, well, they're calling it a hacking, but I'm gonna call it a um, collaboration for all intents and purposes. But the hacking of Gucci by Balenciaga and the show, what did you think about Gucci's 100th collection or 100th year? You know what? It was a very interesting collection in terms of a sort of sort a quote unquote retrospective, I guess, where there was a lot of elements from Gucci 
Gucci's past that were brought back, right? Down to like the Tom Ford red velvet suit. So I think that was a very interesting thing. I love kind of like the leather hardnesses and like the horse beat hardnesses. Like that was really fun to see. So there was a lot of like very fun portions of it. I personally don't think that like the the 100th collection, the 100th anniversary collection should have had, needed the added layer of the Balenciaga. I think that was a bit of like, you're celebrating your brand. So like focus on your brand, right? But I mean, I it's really hard for me to not see it as a cash grab because it, it that's what it is, right? It was very fun to kind of like see these two brands kind of like cross pollinate and like co-brand their product and like play around with like what silhouettes could be reinterpreted under the, the each other each other like I think that was kind of the most interesting part of it to see some of like very like very traditional Demna silhouettes on like a Gucci runway yeah. styled yeah. styled in the Gucci way that was the most interesting I think for me it was the strongest where it wasn't about the logo where it wasn't about the branding and it was about kind of like right but that said, I mean, it's interesting. And I think it's something that the girls are going to be talking about for a while. It's a product that is going to become, like once it starts, once, it, once it's not in stores anymore, it's going to become like very treasured by um, resellers and like by vintage, et cetera, because it is, it's something that we haven't seen, right? And it's, it's kind of like, okay, like, wow, all, all of a sudden these two brands are like working together. But that said, the fact that it was so logo based and the fact that it was so like rooted in the co-branding tells me that it was very much a cash grab for caring, right? You have Gucci, a brand that's been so huge and so successful that represents so much of the caring kind of like pie that's starting to kind of like not be as relevant anymore, right? People are not looking at it with the same eyes as they used to like a year ago, two years ago. And then you have Balenciaga, which is also like, yes, them is still very successful, but it has lost a lot of its initial buzz as well, right? Like they both yeah. had a lot of huge buzz and then they lost a bit of momentum. And then all of a sudden you see them both come together to deliver something that is going to create buzz. So it's hard for me to not see it in, th in terms of strategy, right? I see the strategy too clearly, that is to create <laughs> buzz and to like get money. Um, but if you try to ignore the obvious like, strategy behind it then it's kind of, it's fun it's interesting to see like what two brands can do um like that like i think there was a lot of intention you could see there's a lot of intention in this condition yeah. like, like you said the um, cross-pollination of the silhouettes um, the accessories were such a huge focus like mm -hmm. the accessories from the bags the shoes and like a part of me like likes the idea of the logo, like the logo mania, which I'm gonna use loosely here. But also yeah. it's like in this moment we have two white gays who stole this sort of idea from Dapper Dan, who yeah. sort of and I mean sure you brought him on to help with the collection a few years ago or whatever, but like it makes me feel a little uncomfortable because yeah I I fully I fully co-sign that it's and it's also interesting because like I their whole discourse behind it is like 
the dupes, right? Like the fake anything. And I'm like, you're not, you're not doing anything. Like, I don't think it, they're doing any, any, and they're not adding anything to that conversation by them selling product that looks a certain way. If anything, you are kind of like poking at the way people interact with, with fashion outside of like your tax bracket, you know? So like, I, I, yeah. I don't, I, I find it interesting in terms of like, what are you trying to achieve with this or what conversation you're trying to have? Um, and from what angle, I don't know. It was very interesting to see kind of like, like them lean into that, like the Dapper Dan aesthetic and like be like, okay, like this has been successful for someone, like let's try to do it ourselves. Or again, like try to take over the conversation around like the fakes, et cetera. Cause I'm like, what makes you think that someone's gonna like, just because you did that, like, do you think someone's gonna stop doing that? Do you think people are gonna stop buying fake Gucci on Canal Street? People are not, like people are probably gonna buy it even more, right? And like, obviously fakes are like a huge other conversation because like, damn, like when you're a designer, it sucks when you're knocked off and like sold on Canal Street, right? Yeah. But at the same time, yeah. not everyone can buy a Gucci bag, you know? And like people, so a lot of people access kind of like the fantasy of fashion through like um dupes and like fakes or like versions of right so i think there's more conversations to be had around that than two designers just playing with it um for one season t and i mean since we're in the spirit of collaboration we do have to talk about prada because auntie muta my mom i believe i'm such a huge fan of muta prada <laughs> um and raf simmons it's been interesting i think it's funny because a lot of people say this is so rough but so many things are actually so prada like because yeah because actually people forget that raf is a huge prada fan he's yeah. always been a huge yeah. fan. he wears a lot of prada himself so much of his menswear is you can see a lot of prada influence at the beginning so like it's interesting that people kind of like for, remember history to a point and then forget the rest, right? Where it's like, oh, it looks so, so rough, but in reality, it actually looks very Prada. It's mm. just that Raf's looked very Prada. <laughs> so like <laughs> that said, um, I think that it hasn't been real. It hasn't really been super successful for me. I think when, when they decided to do this, it was kind of like packaged and sold to the industry as this, groundbreaking um innovation and like innovative collaboration or like groundbreaking experience in the industry of like two huge names two of the biggest designers working today collaborating right and then the product is not representing that sort of innovation it's not representing that sort of like groundbreaking anything it's just more stuff and if anything it has less of a character than it used to right the Miucha voice is very specific. And like, I think the reason why we all love Prada so much is because when you look at it, you can see, it's just, it's a very specific aesthetic. When you think of Prada, you think of a very specific thing. And we haven't been seeing that, you know, like the men, this last menswear show for me was a disaster. Like I just, in terms of like, it's just so lackluster. It's very few hits, so many misses, like, 
it's just leaning into god knows what like i i and it's not because it's bad fashion it's because it just doesn't it it lacks personality for me yeah and i think the first show for example a lot of that like the graphics the words on the dress etc i'm like that is so rough and like we get it whatever but it's not landing and i I think the second show was a bit more interesting because it had more more conversation or more dialogue i think between them in it um with a fake fur on top of the sequence on top of the of the the prints that's kind of like more interesting for me and i think that was the most successful out of all of them but then this last menswear show was was not good in my opinion so i'm like i'm so confused as to what where they're trying to go and i'm curious about where they're trying to go but i don't know like for me the strongest moment for the two of them was the women's wear collection because yeah. you you had a lot of those ideas that were reinforced in the first men's wear collection coming through but then you got a lot more mutualisms a lot more like just like, plays just and play. ideas and that i sort of gravitated towards and then so, i think this last one was very muted yeah it it lacked personality in my opinion it really did i was like who is this person prada has so much personality exactly i was like where's all where where's all of that where did it go like like heartbroken because again huge fan of auntie auntie mucha (laughs) yeah same 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 yeah, that's why I'm like, I, I I need to see a little bit more of like the Prada-isms come through, right? I need to see a little bit more of that styling. I need to be see a little bit more of that, like kind of like, yeah, I'm I'm curious. I, I'm not, I don't know. I'm like still kind of like, eh, about it. We'll see, I guess, as, it, as they go. But I do think this is a very big conversation in terms of like, I think Raph is being groomed to take over Prada soon. Same, same. So I'm very curious to see like where that goes because I do, again, like I think he was hired for that specific reason. And like the the reason they're working together for these seasons is so they can like create like a smooth transition. Um, So I'm curious to see how that's going to go. Um, and one of like the last few points I wanted to talk about was menswear because mm-hmm. there has been a shift in mindset with menswear lately that I, I mean, I am happier for it, but I wanted your thoughts on like the state of menswear. I mean, menswear right now, I mean, it's been having a moment for a few years, right? And like, I think right now it's like in a very transitional moment. Because when you think of like the very quote unquote fashion customer of menswear, that that customer is usually queer, right? In, yeah. in any different senses of the word. But primarily they're like usually a gay man or like non-binary person, like they are a queer person. And I think that menswear for the longest time was trying to like avoid that. You know, for the longest time menswear was trying to like still appeal to the same straight man unsuccessfully obviously because like i don't you know a lot of these people a lot of these men that are buying like the menswear at these brands are buying the core they're buying like the more like simple parts of it etc and now it's been interesting to see kind of like menswear um fully lean into that queerness of that gayness like when you look at the latest fendi show 
girl that's like full of bullshit right? yeah exactly like when you look at acne the styling the proportions when you look at like so much of menswear right now gmbh like there is like, so much like queerness right whether it's in whether it's inherently through the designers like in gmbh or whether it's through the aesthetic like in acne and fendi so like it's very interesting for me to see that and for brands to fully lean into that i think the added layer is that like this new generation that is now very visible like gen z is now very so visible because of tiktok how are men dressing now like what how what is the fashion the quote-unquote fashion look right right now and it is very queer it is very gay it's like very influenced by uh women's proportions it's very in influenced by the 70s and 80s proportions so like you see the flirt trouser with a little crop top you see like the the shoulder bag instead of like the crossbody bum bag you know like there is a lot of that that we're seeing today and it's very interesting to like see brands lean into that fully because i don't think they were willing or able to do it in their own books until now so i'm like i'm i'm curious to see what's what the next step is for menswear because menswear is a very tough market to crack because of who the main market is like who who's the main customer every day right there's more straight people than queer people so like there's a lot more straight men that are shopping at these brands in terms of also like what they can access right but the look is changing as well generationally yeah. so i'm yeah. very curious to see like where what the next step is for menswear where like the biggest kind of like boom that it had recently was um streetwear that's why it like has has had such a huge moment now a lot of design designers are walking away from it even virgil is now leaning more into tailoring into like other silhouettes yeah where he was like the huge like star of streetwear right like so if he's leaning into thing other things as well kim jones is also leaning into um more tailoring and then these other brands are leaning more into like a different look. I'm curious to see what what the next kind of like step for it is going to be. Because I, I mean, I think there's a lot of potential in where there always has been. Now couture houses are offering men's for couture. I I I I want to see how this turns out. <laughs> like you mentioned Virgil, and I can't stop thinking about his like latest Louis Vuitton like collection, which was so like at first I was like what is going on yeah like i don't know what's going on and just i was like why i didn't expect virgil to be playing with braver culture and all these sort of like different influences and sort of try and smush them together into this insane sort of thing i'm like weren't you brought on to lv to be like streetwear and i actually really love this journey especially from the previous collection where he spoke about yeah. traveling mentioned his culture and started bringing that into the show i was like this sort of storytelling is definitely the road that i i am ready to start standing because i mean of yeah. course we have a bandit but <laughs> there are some absolutely stunning moments in his latest collection like, what do you think yeah you i agree i mean i think it's when you talk about the journey i think that's also kind of where i am i feel it's very interesting to see him kind of like lean into different things and discover um i really think if kamara really brought something that it was lacking like it really needed like a strong styling perspective it really needed like a strong it needed it needed strong strong styling to establish a look right and i think if kamara just did that in the last two seasons 
So this season for me was very interesting because again, he's walking away from a lot of the things that made him so popular. The LV team is, there is, let's not pretend like there isn't a huge production budget there. There's a huge development budget there. There's a lot of opportunities. You have some of the best designers working there and part of the team, right? So like there is very few things you shouldn't be able to do. And it's nice to see him leaning to them because let's be honest, like at LV, both women's wear and men's wear, the ready tour is not a huge part of the business. It's not like the main part of the business, if anything, right? The leather goods are. So there is, I think, less pressure for him to be like, oh, I have to perform, I have to perform highly with this ready tour. It's more about kind of like the idea, like what it represents for the brand or what it represents for like the moment in the brand. Um, which Gasquiel understands really well. Like Nicholas never really is like, oh, let me produce some best sellers and yeah, ready to work. Yeah. He knows the bags are doing the trick and he knows that that's what he, they need to do. Um, so it's interesting to see Virgil also leaning into that, like understanding that he can have fun with it, that he can have like, he can create these looks and like create the storytelling. And I think last season was the main part of it um, where it's leaning into more a narrative and a story and it's leaning into like, okay, let, let's have fun with it, right? Um, so I think this season was actually pretty strong. There are some things that we would have edited out um, just because they get like, it becomes a bit too many stories. And I think sometimes when yeah. you have that, you just need to like um, pare it down a little bit. But for the most part, I think it was probably one of his best, if not his best collection at LV. I mean, I totally agree. Like I am such a huge fan of his like last collection. And I like this journey like I, I hate to say it again i want this trajectory to keep going because yeah. because For i mean sure. come on like just lastly like who were some of your standout moments from this year interesting um standout moments from this year i think i think it's interesting to see where the row is going i think that's something i'm very curious about that's something that's on my head um, to see what's happening with this brand. I think um, I think Chris Roger and Rogers is, is, is something that stands out as well. Just try to like see what, what's next for him now that he's off the schedule, now that he's not showing on like traditional schedule. I think that's going to be very interesting to see. Um, keeping an eye on like Virgil's LV as well, because like, again, like now we have established the look, now we have established like a conversation around this, what's going to happen now. Um, I'm always going to be like a JW Anderson and, and um, Louisville Stan. I'm always going to be curious to see what happens there. Um, so I'm still like, I think the last two seasons were very interesting um, for Jonathan yeah, Anderson. They were very playful, very leaning into like a lot of different things. So I'm like, okay, what's next for you? You seem to be trying to like play up different moments. Like what's next? Um, what else? I don't know. Whenever people ask me these questions, I always blank. Um, I know it's so funny. I mean, I think in general, the conversation around couture is going to be very interesting in the coming seasons as people like, as we have, we start seeing more events, more red carpets, more everything. So I'm very curious to see like where all of that goes. Um, but primarily I think my main focus right now is menswear. I'm just really curious where the conversation around menswear is going to go in terms of like, how is this look that all these brands are like um kind of like taught like not appropriating like that are um taking over i guess or that are now utilizing this new look of like more queer more gay kind of like menswear i'm curious to see how that's going to translate or if it's going to keep up 
very interested. Um, but yeah, I think mentor is kind of like where I am, GmbH. Like I want to see what everyone does. Like I'm very curious to see what the next like frontier for mentor is. So excited for GmbH. Like, oh, uh, obsessed. The truth is just so fun. So, so exciting. Such great menswear. And that's the thing, like they're driving now conversation too, right? Because they are at the forefront of this queerness in menswear. So like, what what's next? What's next now? I think I want to see like different body types. I want to see different pro proportions in menswear. I want to see the conversation like expand a little bit more into like, okay, now we are talking about a different kind of menswear look. Let's include other people, right? Like I think we've been doing a decent better job in women's wear at being at having like size and body representation but what about men's wear right i think yeah that, that's some there's something to be said about um the men's wear look and like the models used in men's wear they're either jocks um and very muscular like ricardo tishi and jeremy scott they love a good bicep they love a good shoulder they love <laughs> buffy boys and like i mean we appreciate that Eddie Sleman, Ref Simmons love their tiny, tiny little boys. Um, they love a twin. For you. But what's left, right? There's a lot more other male bodies. There's a lot of mask bodies that don't look necessarily like that. And the majority of people don't look like either or, right? Majority of people are not like a twink. Majority of people are not uber muscular. Cater to your customer, right? So I'm very yeah. curious. Like, I'm very curious to see like what... Um, what what the next step of menswear is because there's a lot of work to be done still in terms of like appealing to more people it's like a whole new territory but like i mean if i thought of a man i thought about a prada suit like literally just before that it's like where do we go from here like even on the red carpet this year i mean i hate how like timothy chalamet and harry styles are our two pinnacles of hope rolled exactly. eyes. Yeah. It's depressing and, because... <laughs> and it's no shade to them, right? It's like, it's more shade to kind of like the state of the industry. Like, are we really leaning into like two cis heads, at least assuming, right? Because we've never like... Um, Harry has, hasn't said otherwise, at least. So like, we both assume that like, they're both cis het. Are we really like, are they both do they have to be the pinnacle of like different fashion? Like, I don't know. I'm, it, it rubs me the wrong way as well. Oh, and I forgot, I forgot to say Scaparelli because I think Daniel Rosby is doing a phenomenal job. I just have to say that. Yeah. So for I me, Scaparelli, I am always watching. Same. I'm very curious always. Like he's building a beautiful world for himself within Elsa's world and I think that's that's important like a lot a lot of designers can do that so I think he's doing an amazing job and I want to see more and I mean just I mean, shout out to Richard Quinn who lately released a did you see that collection yeah that was fun like so like, fun I love the juxtaposition and who else was it oh my gosh I forgot who I was going to shout out um love Richard Quinn of this and Tom Brown Tom Brown. I can't wait to see where we go on this journey because I think, again, Tom Brown's extravagant and just excellence in terms of his construction, his ideas. I think that's an avenue that has been created as well. So, in terms of sure. music. 
yeah, it'll be very interesting to see. But yeah, I mean, I'm curious. I'm excited. I, I, I think there's a lot of conversations happening. There's a lot of things happening in fashion right now that are going to be very interesting to see where they land. Yeah. So thank you so much for joining us. It was a lovely. Oh my God, thank you. For this was so fun. Um, love talking about fashion. You're welcome to come back anytime. Where can the divas find you on the socials? Um, everyone can find me at at el jose Criales. so that's at el j o s e c r i a l e s that's my instagram and twitter and then um everything again is around my instagram so you can also find my podcast it's available on spotify apple music anywhere you listen to podcasts it's called biased um so yeah that's me that's where you can find me and then you can find us instagram twitter at mayphone underscore nmb and then you can go to our website, www.mesonmb.com. That has been the first episode of that Gossip. I can't wait to see you guys for more fun chat. Bye. Oh, bye.